0: Hey guys, Riley here. Not going to have a uh, stupid opening this time because the visit were here and they talked for a full hour and also to get two songs done. Um, each one of their songs are about 11 minutes long. So uh, we're going to make this one quick and we're going to go straight into the first one. And then, so if you want to get to the actual talking, it's going to be about 12 or 13 minutes into the episode. Uh, and then, yeah, another one at the end. Great interview. Great uh, Great people. Uh, great musicians Uh, you guys are in for a treat and goodbye sure you get it every time and it's pretty boring and i'm not very excited about it but i think for people who are going to listen to probably for the first time they're going to be hearing these tracks they're going to want to know you know uh what'd you guys listen to growing up what what were sort of the first pieces of music you guys really got interested in no it's not <laughs> <laughs> it's
1: actually a hard question well it's a bit of a long answer yeah. but we can it's a break long it down. answer for him yeah um I would say that one of my biggest influences growing up was Lorena McKennett. I really enjoyed listening to her. Um, who else? Well, I guess Ani DeFranco, um, Bjork. Uh, I'm, a, I, I'm a huge fan of Bjork. Um, a lot of music that I don't actually really listen to anymore. But those are the first ones that come to mind. What about you?
2: Well, um, I definitely also listened a lot to Lorene McKennett when I was uh, younger. Um, I think, I mean, metal's a huge influence. You know, I, I listened to so much metal throughout my teens and I still do now all the time. Um, and a lot of, a lot of weird cellists, uh, Claude Lamotte, um, Giovanni Solima, um, and, uh, Arvo Pärt is a huge kind of overbearing influence, um, on everything that I write, I would say. Um, And a lot of Persian and Indian music um, and Arabic music. So I would say almost like my musical lineage is maybe more Eastern than Western in a lot of ways. Um, And that comes through a lot in just the way I improvise and um, kind of what I gravitate towards in terms of melody or riffs or um, even harmony to a certain extent. Uh, So I think that those, those are sort of some formative influences and it's sort of the combination of all these different things that that arrive at uh, you know one convergence that allows the music to to come through. So yeah,
1: yeah, and I find that um, well, since knowing Raphael, my musical um, taste has grown a lot. I was never into metal. I yeah, I never had any friends that were into metal. Um, but since knowing Raphael I've I've gotten into metal as well. It's an acquired taste. <laughs> you know. It is an acquired taste, but it's growing on me more and more all the time. I'm still not really into the death metal. I have a hard time with the vocals and death metal, but progressive metal and um that sort of thing, like animals as leaders is is now really close to me, I find.
3: That's awesome, awesome. And <laughs> also
1: classical music like Arvo Part and
2: Yeah, and like and even, the even, more
1: Eastern influence influenced music like uh, dafar youssef yeah and, we started just listening to and Daffar then youssef. we both tigran became Hamasian. fans of tigran Hamasyan, um who's phenomenal he's a wizard he's a total yeah. wizard he's a pianist um but he's classically tra- trained but he does more jazz uh, piano now
2: yeah well the way he integrates everything is so interesting because yeah he, he has a classical kind of technique but a very advanced sense of jazz soloing and a really, really cool vocabulary with rhythm. But he's Armenian, so he has this Armenian folk background as well. And then he listens to a lot of like Meshuggah and Tool. So, so there's this kind of metal thing happening, but with like a small jazz group. And just so many elements all together in this, this very fresh style that I think not a lot of people are, are using Um, And the way he's commenting on all these heavier bands, but with a fully acoustic setup, is really, really, really interesting. And uh, I think for someone like myself, I really like to pick up on that and, you know, hear that language being used in a different way. Mm -hmm.
1: So I feel really lucky to know Raphael for many reasons, but that being one of them. And he's introduced me to so many great bands because my my family wasn't very musical. uh, So growing up, I didn't really hear a lot of music, actually.
2: Well, yeah. I mean... Yeah, it's, I think exposure is always important to just kind of soak in as much as possible and eventually, uh, you know, something something clicks and something comes through. Um, but, um, I mean, you're such a, an amazingly intuitive performer. You would never know that because what you're able to do with phrasing and improvisation so, so seamless and, you know, so beautiful and original, it's like, you know, it almost doesn't matter because you have it in you. And I think just listening to other music brings it out more and, you know, so... <laughs> <laughs> it's true, like, uh, <laughs>
0: that was my next question <laughs>
4: <laughs> how long have you two known each other for um, and three, been working a three for years. over three years yeah yeah, yeah. and yeah. been working together just as long just about yeah, yeah
1: well we actually started uh sort of as as a business no not a, a business but um, i mean definitely it was as an artistic a creative kind of artistic a, collaboration
2: yeah that yeah. happened right off the bat i you know, basically, as soon as you approached me. Well, the first like, night. Yeah.
1: That we met, we yeah. ended up jamming, and it was. Yeah. It was it really great. Clicked. It was yeah. We we really clicked. It was it was pretty magic. Yeah.
2: Yeah. We kind of couldn't stop really. It just yeah. kept <laughs> on happening, and and it know. was neat
1: because I mean we did have um, an event like that. I was doing a dance performance for this event, and I had asked him to do cello. But um, we did that, and it went well. But then we just kept meeting up. Every week, once a week. Just improvising uh, together. To improvise. Yeah. And it went, it shifted more from me dancing and him playing cello to me singing. Yeah. And then we decided to form the visit.
2: Yeah, make it kind of a musical project. And and I guess at first we were just fully, uh, you know, it was all fully improvised. And it was more just us trying to find our groove. But it quickly turned into these, uh, you know, long kind of set pieces. Um which were all written very fast. And it was kind of the summer of twenty thirteen. We uh, just did a a lot of a lot of playing together, a lot of writing, and we started playing open mics around town, and then that led to shows and you know, we had a bunch of material and it kind of started to ramp up because we were seeing that people were enjoying it, we were getting a lot out of it, and so it grew very fast from there. Take us back to your first
0: open mic. And okay. like everyone else is up there doing like, hey, I can beatbox and do Mama and the Papas. <laughs> and you guys get up there. And <laughs>
1: what was our first open mic? <laughs> it
0: Mug Shots? Mugshots. Yeah. May 2013
1: oh, yeah. at Mugshots. Actually, yeah.
2: We played in between the, the courtyard? Yeah, yeah in the yeah.
1: courtyard. Yeah, it was fun.
2: That was really fun. Yeah, it was cool to sound off with that. It felt, I don't know, for me it felt like there was a lot of energy that we were putting out. I definitely felt like I was doing something that I'd wanted to do in other projects but never really had the chance to do. Mm-hmm, and we were kind of pushing the limit with it a little bit. And yeah, the response and people, was good.
1: Exactly, yeah. people responded really well. They were excited about it, we were excited about it. We did the laugh as well. Yeah, we
2: did it a couple <laughs> times. Oh,
3: <wow. laughs> yeah. yeah,
1: yeah. And um, also again, the, re- the response was great. Yeah. Except we well, played this <laughs> one song that's on our album without this flesh. Without this flesh, it's yeah. like 14 minutes. But at the time, it was about 20, almost 20 minutes. Yeah, it was even longer. <laughs> and so, like halfway your, through, this drunk guy was album, like either. starting to clap. And like, like, okay, to be- <laughs> that's enough. That's <laughs>
3: yeah, yeah, yeah. enough. And we were yeah. like,
1: we're not done yet, and we just kept playing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and uh, yeah, and we we're like, maybe we should shorten it. And eventually. Like, no way. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. And then eventually, like, really, like, hey, we need to cut a little bit into this piece. Uh,
2: yeah, I think we focused it down <laughs> a little bit.
1: Yeah. Good.
0: Just do the Phil Spector thing where on the pressing of it, you just say it's two minutes, even though it's like four and a half, and
2: radio stations will play it.
1: Yeah. Oh, that's an interesting. idea Oh, yeah. never thought of that. Hmm,
2: yeah. <laughs> the thing is, like, Every piece has a, a fairly long intro or build. So at a certain point, people are going to start to come to their senses. And realize, <laughs> wait a second. Hey, where does the song start? You know what yeah. i like,
3: oh. Yeah.
1: Although we have had a lot of radio play. <laughs> yeah, on campus
2: radio, it's been, in it's o- been pretty within strong. Within Ottawa. And in, uh, in Toronto as well. Oh, okay. Yeah, quite a bit. Um, Toronto and Hamilton. Nice. Um, yeah. There's one. Laura, right? Yeah, there's this one uh, metal show in Hamilton that, that plays our stuff all the time. Oh, which yeah? Is great. Yeah, it's you know, it's mainly just uh, new new metal stuff that's coming out. But uh, um, they, they really liked our, our album. And, you know, it seems to have kind of been placed alongside a lot of metal releases, which I think is awesome. Uh, yeah, that's
4: fantastic. Mm-hmm. That's one thing I was wondering about was because of the length of your songs and like how they are such long compositions. Is radio play going to be an issue for you guys? But apparently not. If you're mm-hmm. getting play through Toronto and Hamilton and the campus stations here in town, like that's really good yeah,
1: yeah. Um, i think originally when we were sort of sending out to different radio stations within canada we did get some response saying well your tracks are a little too long like we would like to but you know.
2: we haven't tried too hard though with we with haven't radio really tried hard it's no. not it's not our, our focus i think it was 2016 is.
1: Uh, <laughs> that's true sometimes we wonder <laughs> yeah. like is it even relevant at all to but i think it is still
2: I think it's good, but I, I'm just not interested in in fully investing in it. I think it'll it'll come at its own pace. Yeah, you know, if as people long as we, get
1: a hold of it and they're like, "Oh, we want to play this on our station." Great.
2: It's always it's always better when it happens without you trying. I find it's just you feel like it, it's got its own momentum. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The first time I got played
0: on CBC, uh, a friend of mine called me in the middle of the night. She's like, "Do you know you're playing on CBC right now?" And I was like, "Wait, what? What oh, <laughs> CBC Radio?" And I was like, "Okay." And I look around my room. It's like midnight. I'm like, I don't have anything to play the radio with.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah.
1: That's true.
2: Yeah. So there's a certain demographic that has that at their disposal where it's like if you had a radio interview, for example, you know, on CBC or whatever, that they would be in tune with it or they'd have it on in their car or something. And there's a lot of people who are, I guess, uh, plugged into that. But I think for us, maybe it's it's harder to imagine that happening just because it's not really part of our lives in the same way.
0: Yeah. Uh, let's talk how much you guys said you start off just doing you like improvising a lot how much of that still comes through when you're recording how much of that still comes through when you're playing live these days
2: uh It's pretty scripted now mm-hmm. I mean the the pieces came out of improvisation, but um, I guess they just sort of uh, crystallized and took a fixed form from uh, a structure that we developed through playing together and and sounding off ideas and figuring out um the vibe or the world of each piece that we wanted to do so uh, and of course you know the more shows you do the more you start to get into a groove of oh i like the sound of this i want to um build on it for example Mm -hmm. the piece offering um is on the record and we have the the video of it um we performed that for the first time at this show where we did i think we did four uh pieces five pieces maybe um one of them was mainly improvised but um the intro to that was was really not kind of set in stone yet and I, I just was sort of doing whatever but we had a recording of it afterwards and so it was sort of based on the recording that i came up with this other kind of edited version that you know it sounds like i'm improvising the intro but i actually played almost the same way every time mm-hmm.
1: um yeah, yeah i just wanted to add to that that yeah. um like once you record then you hear the recording like with between worlds which was our first piece um, I don't know about you, but I was always sort of improvising in this song it's for, true, for a movie, while. Yeah. And then we decided to record it and it sort of became our first single. Yeah, yeah. And as soon as we, we recorded it, we started playing at the same time every single time after that because we were able to hear it and it's like oh okay that's how it goes
2: yeah you start you start to have a fixed idea of um what the piece is because of the recording being in your head and having heard it so many times Mm
1: -hmm. and then also uh, there was a certain point where uh, Raphael recorded all the cello parts right right, right, um, and then sent them to me because I wanted to start adding lyrics to the pieces and so then with the recording I would sing over top of it so then I just I got used to to singing a set piece rather than improvising
2: yeah there are more lyrics so the delivery had to be a bit more consistent as opposed to you know fully improvised
1: but I think the flavor still yeah. carries an improvised flavor yeah you know, exactly a lot of people think that we do improvise a lot
2: yeah it has a spontaneous kind of alive uh, feeling to it which which is great I you think know.
1: part of that also is that there aren't lyrics throughout the entire song yeah And I'm doing a lot of, you know, lyricless vocals. Yeah. So it it kind of has a more improvised feeling, I think.
2: Right. And there's some freedom, you know, where if if I'm playing something very rhythmic, you don't necessarily have to start a wordless uh vocalization at one point it you know the timing can can fluctuate a little Mm -hmm. bit depending on how fast we're playing Mm -hmm. a piece on that night or
1: sometimes i might come in earlier sometimes i might come in later
2: exactly which i think you know it keeps it fresh and you know (laughs) it keeps us um it forces us to always listen to each other and and make sure that we're we're really in tune with each other um yeah just fun so i'm assuming you guys aren't big fans of quantization then no (laughs) I mean, I, I my, my view is like, okay, I listen to a lot of like very like technical metal stuff. So I, I like the like precise drumming and like very like and kind of choppy syncopated rhythms. And I like things sounding tight, but I'm just not a fan of the idea that you would be doing it, you know, afterwards, like fix it in the mix. Yeah. Like I want, I want to make sure it's played, you know, just kind of embarrassing to not play something like super tight and just nail it. Like then, then you know you're good, you know, otherwise it's like, wh- you know, you just... It's so like if you're going to be playing on your album, you might as well just go all the way, or not do it at all. It's you know, it's my view on it. So,
0: I was watching this video the other day of how to do like metal guitar production, and mm-hmm. they said if the guy's having trouble in the studio. And he, he showed the song that was at 130 BPM. And then he set this one marker up and the guy played the solo at 50 BPM. Oh. And then they
2: just sped it like more than twice the original speed. Oh, <laughs> well, wow. Yeah.
1: yeah, we were... You told me about something.
2: Well, there's a band called uh, Rings of Saturn that kind of got really infamous um, for... I think well, basically what they did was they had some... They had some guitar pro tracks that were actually embedded in the record. Um, but they also i think what they did is they performed a bunch of guitar parts at half speed and then sped them up and of course um this sort of like technical metal world being the olympics that it is and everyone being like this guy could tread better this guy, you know it's sort of like um they really got discredited to the point where you know the big metal blogs are still saying oh you see this is more proof why rings of saturn is a really bad band and i'm like well okay i mean you guys can lay off on it like it's whatever but i i i do think yeah i mean it's if you can get great results doing it and that's the goal you know to create that sound that's another matter but if you're just using it as a crutch then i i'm, I'm not i'm not a fan of course but you know it's an interesting uh issue to talk about well let's talk about a little bit how you guys record because
0: a, the album has a rawness to it but it does sound finished it it sounds well produced it sounds It sounds really, really nice. Uh, I guess the thing I'd compare it to sort of sonically was maybe like a Colin album. Oh, yeah. Where it's sort of... Like, I think the way he does it is he just records in a room full of microphones and then he sort of mixes that based on the sonic qualities of different... mics picking it up at uh, different areas within Mm -hmm. it. But uh, with you guys, like, how... Uh, what's the first step in recording for you? How much processing do you do on these sorts of things? Are you guys doing it? Are you working with a producer? There's like seven questions. Go. That's a well, good question. We worked yeah.
1: at uh, Union Sound for the company album. For the album. Um, Leon Tahani uh, recorded us. He's also done Owen Pallet yeah. and some other pretty established artists.
2: That's in Toronto, right? Yeah. yeah that's yeah. in Toronto. Yeah, it's a brand new studio. Really, really nice really uh, live nice. room.
1: I didn't want to leave. Uh, when he yeah, <laughs> left, I almost cried. I saw your video your for
4: Through Darkness, and yeah. mm-hmm. I'm assuming that was in the studio. Yeah, mm-hmm. that was in the studio. Yeah. Very, very nice spot. Mm-hmm. They had the a better setup art. than this. <laughs> <laughs> they had hardwood floors, so we got that <laughs> going. But.
1: So Raf went into the, the studio first. Yeah, and we did five dad, days. Five days. Um,
2: so one, one day for each track, essentially. Yeah. And uh, we had five mics in the cello. Um, so we had... Uh, I think we had two, two close... And then one that was a bit further away, which is like a, a mic that was kind of very high-end in the 50s, actually. I think to get more like the rawness of the cello and then two, uh, two uh, room mics. Um, very, very high-quality uh, stuff. So we had a lot of different sounds. We got a very clear um, kind of sound image. Um, there's not a lot of layering in the record. It's it's pretty much all performed through. Um, most of it is on a click track. Um, programmed some drums, actually, to make it feel more, uh, I guess, to give it some context. Um, and uh, so in that sense, yeah, a lot of it is in a very particular tempo, and it's all about really nailing that tempo um, so that it feels consistent. Um, and we also use some drones, sometimes, uh, like just a, like a you know, a synth sound to really, really focus the pitch so that you know when you're dealing with a fretless instrument, but you want to create the consistency of a, a full band where everyone's like really locked in. So that was part of the procedure. Um, a couple of um, multi-track parts, but just, just little touches, really. Um, we did some parts live together. Um, some of the sections where um, it's more of like a verse, more subdued, and I'm doing more pizzicato. Um, those, those parts we did facing each other um, in the studio at the end of the, the cello tracking, which was really nice. And then um, Heather recorded all of her parts in three days. Um, really, really fast, actually. It, was, it really- was
1: really fast. I think next time we'll take more time yeah. for both instruments um i I felt like three days was a bit rushed
2: yeah i think Um, five maybe
1: five yeah because it's just there's so much content
2: yeah and just trying to get the delivery
1: so basically we just recorded the vocals and um the producer and Raphael were listening and kind of editing as we went along but yeah a lot of editing we didn't really have a lot of chance to sit down and listen to the tracks yeah we really didn't have much
2: time at all to kind of to be like oh
1: this one not this one you know picking different
2: takes takes. and stuff
1: so after we finished the vocals we basically gave it to the guy to mix yeah we decided to stay out of that process for the most part yeah um
2: we didn't want to rip each other apart too much yeah (laughs) Actually, we Um, didn't want to
1: get too enmeshed in it
2: i have mixed feelings about that i think that on, on one hand like um it's really difficult when you're doing something that's never really been done before and you give it to a guy and then you expect them to just know what to do. And I think, you know, Leon's an amazing engineer. So we, of course, trust him and he's extremely calm and he never gets stressed out, which is great. Mm-hmm. Um, but nonetheless, like there was a lot of tweaking that we need to do once we arrived.
1: Exactly. So we gave it to him for like two weeks. Um, I'm not totally sure how much time he was able to put into it during those two weeks. Because when we came in, we ended up having to basically go through the whole Yeah, the whole album. The whole album and do each mix within like it was a a day and a half, I think. But it was like not even ten hours, probably. Yeah,
2: it was yeah, maybe six hours or something. It was it was pretty quick. So really we mixed it very fast and it's hard to get all the levels for every part and to know where to mix everything, you know. And And it's
1: it's difficult when both of us sort of have like songwriter personalities where we like strong personalities. in charge yeah. and we both want to be heard equally yeah. and sometimes a certain part I might say well, I think the vocals could be a little bit louder here and right. he, could, he might be like no the cello <laughs> needs to be like, louder here you know so there was um, some discrepancies between us
2: for sure but I mean
1: we came to, to agreements basically
2: yeah I think I think in general it was sitting really well um, I it's think, a very
1: emotional process oh, yeah. though right? So
2: yeah. we, we didn't even
1: listen to the album. Like I actually still haven't listened to the whole
2: album. Yet. Yeah, we, we don't really listen to it. Um, I mean, I've I listened to it on a few systems. Um,
1: but while we were, because then it goes to mastering, right?
2: Well, the thing is that we had some tweaks done on it um, after the mix, but we didn't listen to them after they were done. And then we sent it directly to mastering. So I think that there were certain, there were certain surprises there. We had a really great mastering engineer um, work on it. But I actually, it almost took me, you know, it, it took essentially for him to convince me. He was like, you know what, man? Your record sounds really good. Let's just, like, go with, you know, what I've done kind <laughs> of thing. Because we were thinking,
1: well, maybe we can scrap this master, go back to the studio, remix it, then remaster it again. And, you know, we were both sort of freaking out about the record. Yeah, there's a
2: lot of stress involved with making it, and it took a lot out of us, I think, um, on an emotional level. Um and just, you know, just making sure that it came across the way we wanted. Um, plus, we had, you know, CD release booked. We had, you know, all this stuff that we had to put together in time. Um, but I think the good news is that, you know, everyone seems to be enjoying it. Um, yeah. So a lot. And people are buying it. So it's, it's done it its job. It must be good art.
0: <laughs> well, yeah, it must be okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's the way to judge it.
2: Or good drugs. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I, I find it
0: I find it crazy uh, that for you guys the most emotional part was the mix down process because these songs are like they're raw they yeah, they're, they're just they're so very charged mm-hmm. uh, and then for you guys to be like well I think the cello should be a little like that yeah. should be the part that <laughs> sets you guys off at the end that's
1: and it's because we care about it so much right? yeah so, yeah, so, so all of the, the little details become these huge monstrosities in our minds
2: for sure like, yeah, yeah
1: and then someone else might be like i don't even notice the difference they don't like, between hear it, yeah. this and that
2: because they don't have their microscope on so high when mm. you're in the studio you're you're zeroing in on the smallest details and it's hard for you to hear it as a listener also it's like if you're involved in some kind of uh um you know uh relationship with someone and there's some kind of thing coming up um and you're not like if they bring something up you can't be objective because you're part of it um, and being a band member, it's like you can't always see it from uh, a fully objective viewpoint because you're involved in the process. So you mm-hmm. feel like um, and you feel too implicated to like see it that way. It can be hard. It takes like I think it takes time to see it as a different person and to see it for what it is. Um, and as opposed to seeing it as a part of you, it's like eventually it's, you know, becomes its own thing. Um <laughs> Yes, yeah. abstract that may sound. But, uh, <laughs> I think that's essentially what it is. Um, but you know, we we did of course uh, between worlds before that as a single, and we had a bit of a different um, production style. So it was interesting to see. You know, we we had more effects and uh, um, you know running things through amps and stuff like that. We had a little bit more of that happening. Um, the album is more of a clean sound. Um, we we kind of decided to make it sound more live. It still, I mean, it feels produced, and there's Parts where you can hear that, you know, you can hear it's done in a studio, but it feels more like a performance. And that was something we all agreed upon, which I think is a nice, clean slate for us to do other things in the future. Um, You know, starting from a point of just here we are, you know, and then we can tweak the sound or, you know, change the vibe as we go along as we need.
1: Recording between worlds was also really emotional. Yeah. Yeah. Afterwards, particularly like I, I had a really hard time liking how I sounded in that.
2: I think a lot of it We're yeah. both
1: very critical. Yeah. So you know, we're always the most critical on ourselves. Mm-hmm. The hardest on ourselves. So yeah. now I, I really like Between Worlds. Yeah. But here, I didn't yeah. like yeah. it for a long time.
2: Yeah, and I think it's, you know, being able to see things in in their own context and oh yeah, that's the room we recorded it in. That's that's the kind of the, the vibe of the the music uh where We sound different just depending on where we're recording, Mm -hmm. and
1: and exactly like how you know our instruments are are affected by the air in the Mm -hmm. room or you know things like that.
2: That was a huge. So it's like a
1: a snapshot in time. I think that's. Yeah. Someone said that to us.
2: A lot of people have said that. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Where
1: it's like you know what when you make an album it's like a snapshot in time. Yeah. And that's it.
2: Exactly, and it just kind of it's a a placeholder, um of course, because it's a continuum, but. Not everyone's going to hear the the whole process, but I guess we experience all of it through playing stuff all the time. So, yeah. Wow.
3: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I was going to say. <laughs> okay. That's,
0: um, what was it? Did you guys know what to expect when you, because, you know, cards on the table you guys have created a genre. There might not ever be another band who ever does anything like this. Like, it, what were you expecting the response to be? Like you, you said, at a certain point, the the album has to become its own thing, stay on its own legs. It's no longer just yours. It's It becomes everybody's. What uh, what were you guys expecting sort of when you put it out into the world?
1: Mm-hmm. Well, before we put it out, I think, you know, because we, we performed so much yeah. before making the album, um, and we always had good response. So I think for me, anyways, I thought that there's a good chance that the album would succeed. Um, but then going through the emotional roller coaster of actually making the record. You know, my my hopes of that were somewhat shattered. It's like people are going to hate this. Yeah, I don't yeah, even yeah. want to release this it's garbage. Yeah, we, we we messed it up.
2: <laughs> we got to a point of not trusting it, I think, and there was a lot of trepidation around uh, mm-hmm. releasing it. Even though th- we knew there were certain things working for it, we knew that the performances were all good. We knew that the uh, production was good. We knew that um artistically, you know, it had some merit, but we just weren't sure how it was going to go down. Um, and also the pacing of the record. It's not an album that kind of hits you r- right away. You know, it takes a bit of time to build. And it's important to listen to all of it and hear how it all fits together to really appreciate everything. And because um, the
1: instrumentation is so different. It's kind of like, stark How many times and, yeah. do you hear a voice in a cello? Like there are some people who are doing playing the cello and singing at the same time. but The but function
2: th- of those two is very different. Right. <laughs> yeah.
1: But being a duo... You know, being two different people coming together with yeah. this instrumentation, it's it's pretty weird in a way. You
2: rarely
4: hear it, and you guys feed off each other like incredibly well. Yeah, your music. Thank you. You're welcome. Um,
1: yeah, but then you know, so we were we were pretty doubtful. I think at one point yeah. <laughs> before we released it, and then we we released it, and you know, our CD release parties went really well. Yeah and then um we started getting some reviews coming in and all of the reviews have been extremely positive yeah so yeah
2: it's it's been growing and yeah and through think,
1: bandcamp um you know people are buying like almost every day so yeah
2: a lot yeah. of a lot of really good responses from fans a lot of people from you know m- most of our sales are from abroad most of our sales are from europe or australia or the us and uh and a lot of uh interest in mexico as well um so i feel like you know, there's been so much, yeah, so so many positive responses that it's sort of kind of solidifying what it is and giving us the confidence to continue and and keep exploring this um, and you know make more more records and do more shows and so on. Um, but it kind of started for me like with the the mastering engineer being like, you know what, this is really good, just just release it, you know, just like just press the damn thing, and then our publicist saying, you know, I really really like this stuff because we hadn't had any reviews or anything and um and then yeah, the first few reviews coming in um we also had an indieGoGo campaign, so a lot of people had pre-ordered, so they got to hear it a little bit early and uh and so we were able to hear back from them and that already kind of gave us a little boost going into the the release shows and you know and all that that stuff and yeah
0: let's talk let's break down one song and from a lot of these songs, like, they're all over eight minutes long. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, they're all over eight minutes long, and they're almost like suites. You've got different sections to it. Yes. How do you start bringing together different parts to it? Do you, does it start off in, with you guys improvising and then deciding sort of, you know, I like this part, this part, this part, bring it together? Or do you, do you
2: improvise in suites as well? Uh, we do a bit of both. I mean, I think uh, the musical world starts to dictate the form so um one thing that I think characterizes all the pieces is that the cello tunings are all non-standard they're all these weird open tunings that most people don't use so that already makes it like this different instrument and it kind of focuses the sound world and the tonal world um and the key that we're playing in and the vibe so we already start playing into that right away um and that's sort of like the um I guess the I don't know, substrate or whatever that everything is kind of built off of. And then um, from there, you know, yeah, it sort of um, allows for certain possibilities. But, right, the instrumentation is sparse. So there's limitations. And I think that it's from those limitations that we find possibilities and we start to fit things together and start to hear a form and try to figure out, okay, is this something that should start intensely or something that should start gradually? Should it end with a bang? Should it kind of taper off? Um, you know, what kind of, you know, do we want to have a heavy part here? Do we want it to be more of a melodic piece? Where um, do we want to have a verse? You know, lyrics, blah, blah, blah. There's a lot of different um, possibilities. And I think whatever the uh, character of the piece is, it start, starts to narrow down those possibilities and give us something to work from.
3: Mm
1: -hmm. and there's been a well i can think of cast off the veil in between worlds Mm. oh and without this flesh where essentially you had come up with the cello parts yeah and then you presented them to them to me and i added the vocal the vocals and then i added the lyrics afterwards yeah but then there's been a couple like offering where it sort of came more out of us improvising together. We were just
2: jamming together. We were just
1: jamming together and feeding off of each other. And then Raph was able to remember what we were doing and Somehow. sort of... We,
2: we did it very fast. <laughs> yeah, it was very fast, but... A couple of days we wrote it and um, we had like at least a working form that allowed us to get through the whole thing because we knew all the parts. And then it kind of solidified more and more. Um...
1: And Through Darkness also was... Wasn't it? Yeah, well, did, we, were, it cut, we were jamming from, together
2: a
3: little
1: and bit. And into light, we did it. We, we wrote definitely. it sort of in in the park in Strathcona Park. That's right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We were, it was in <laughs> the yeah. summer.
2: Yeah, and we did most of that one in like a day or two. Again, it was just mm-hmm. we were working really intensively um, on on this, and uh, and it was yeah, it was more the result of us trying to find a sound together, um, particularly with the uh, the bookends of the the song, which are uh, you know us sort of doing a uh, Um, kind of chorale harmony together and then there's like a more of a you know verses in the middle and there's kind of like a metal part in the middle as well and it's more like a like a palindrome song it sort of mirrors itself um and through darkness we we were just playing I think I was playing with a tuning that was a little bit different and I came with the harmonics intro and that was kind of nice we started looping that and then there was this you know little pizzicato thing and that's where the verse came from and then everything evolved from there and often what happens is once we have everything put together We'll start editing, editing it down. There's usually like a cello part here or there that's, you know, we'll agree like, okay, this is kind of extraneous. Like let's chop that and try to make it as focused and as cohesive as possible. Because, you know, that's I think what makes it work. There, there are long pieces, but um, there's a lot of continuity and there's a lot of themes that repeat themselves. Um, like one, one example is Through Darkness, the intro harmonics there's a riff at the end that's almost the same riff but it's like really low and heavy so you don't really notice but it's actually almost the same thing just coming back at the end after all this jazz you know Um, yeah (laughs) yeah so I guess that's the process we've talked about doing other things but it seems to have worked this way now let's talk writing vocal
0: lines for these because these yeah, are intense about pieces. To get into that yeah. as well. uh, some of them are mm-hmm. like much more traditional, sort of the way you you would pair a cello and vocals together. But some of it, it's like you're fighting against a storm. Like how do you <laughs> 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 uh, how, how do you come up with these lines to interact with something that is just so busy? So like mm-hmm. it's you know it is metal at that point. Mm-hmm. It, it's uh what? How do you approach those uh, heavier heavier moments? Wow,
1: well, that's a good question. Um, I don't know how you do it. <laughs> awesome. Well. I think that Between Worlds was the first piece that we came came up with. And Raphael had already written the the cello parts for that.
2: It was pretty much complete almost. Mm -hmm. Yeah.
1: And I was in this point in my life where I was just like, I just want to let go. And I, I don't want to have any inhibitions inside of me. And I just, this voice just started coming out of me that I hadn't really explored very much before. Yeah, it's Um, true,
2: that that quality, I guess the level of intensity. And
1: so allowing the cello to sort of take me on a journey and to just allow myself to naturally respond to the cello. Um, Yeah, and this, this kind of crazy voice comes out of me. Yeah, it's I awesome. That. Yeah, but s- sometimes when he presents me with a piece, I'm like, what the fuck am I supposed to do with this? <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> Seriously, you're Asshole. like stressing me out here. Like, how am I supposed to add anything to this, right? Because it could be listened without without vocals and it would still be an incredible piece of music. So that's been sort of a challenge for me where I go back and forth where I'm like, I'm totally irrelevant in
2: this band. <laughs> <laughs> to like
1: no okay I do have a part to play in this band
2: yeah well, um, a good example like Cast Off The Veil you know which like I, I actually played once as a solo piece and then you know I had it worked out we worked on it and then you wrote all these awesome lyrics for it and and I think it's one of the ones that people comment on the most in terms of the, the lyrical concept the delivery um, somehow they, they really worked together
1: mm-hmm. Um. But even though sometimes I do find it to be, at first, I find it to be daunting, um, I just look for, you know, different harmonies that I can sing on top, like different lines that will sort of soar above what he's doing. And I find that works fairly well. Um, and then, of course, when it becomes more like pizzicato, then it's it's easier to sort of sing a verse over it, yeah. lyrics. And
2: we have a lot of set parts where we do that, where we try to bring it down to make it um, more intimate, um, and then we make it really kind of grandiose and intense. And I think that allows it to have a, a larger scope. Um, but um, but yeah, I think I try to not do anything harmonically that's really tough to sing over. Um, rhythmically it can be very complex sometimes, but harmonically, I usually try to put it in a space where. It's like oh, I can hear a melody over this um, all the time. One of the the best things though for me is um, it's that part of without this flesh, or uh, it's a, um, uh, the um, lifelessness uh, will soon decay and all that. That like the the rhythm there is so weird, but somehow you're able to fit over it, and it just feels very intuitive, which is cool. Well, it
1: is. I think it is intuitive. But that's, that's great. Because that's like yeah.
2: You know, from the beginning, I think that's one of the things that I, I noticed was that there was this kind of like rigidity to what I was doing. Um, and then you were able to make it sound organic and fluid and make it work with that. And I was. I think
1: that's why we work well together. Yeah. That's why the visit is something that's unique and special because we both have very strong personalities and we both have very different things to offer to the project. But yeah. It complements each other.
2: Yeah, exactly. Yeah.
4: Yeah. I find that fascinating because uh, going back to what you each had said, like Raphael, you grew up listening to a lot of like metal music and that shows a lot through your playing. But you, Heather, like you spoke off saying that like, you never listened to metal just until recently. So hearing like the lyrics that you are able to produce and the melodies that go along with Raphael's compositions, it's fucking incredible. Mm-hmm. And you're just kind of wondering like how the heck, like after hearing this, like how are they able to like put this mm-hmm. together, like mesh it so beautifully like- and it's it's incredible like cool. yeah it's not a question it's just a statement but yeah.
1: <laughs> well, i think lyrically though like i remember when i first started showing Raphael my lyrics and he was like you're so metal <laughs> yeah, totally. Like, <laughs> hardcore.
2: To is the verse yeah. and offering i mean it's this funny song that has a verse that comes in eight minutes through and it's yeah. like it's all kind of like blood and guts and like nightmares um and but i, I saw really this in, see
1: it that way well i mean yes
2: Uh, I I mean, I just, I'm not used to um, hearing or I guess seeing those kinds of lyrics in a context outside of death metal. Usually you would growl those lyrics Mm -hmm. um, and there'd be something almost cliche about it. But the fact that it's like the most, one of the most intimate and uh, kind of sparse sections of the song almost makes it more creepy. Um, It's really, it's really interesting, but I was just, it was such a nice surprise for me. You know, every time, you know, every time you would come with some lyrics, like, wow, all these lyrics are awesome. And now I'm seeing the music in a different way because, hmm. you know, for me, like Cast Off the Veil, for example, was the song that had the most um, kind of redemption in it. Or it, had a lo- it has a lot of parts that sound kind of more major. Um, and but then especially the first half of the song, the lyrics are, are much darker than I had imagined the music. Um,
1: right. I remember you saying that you felt like it was about like fields and... I don't know, you were describing was, like beautiful landscapes. Well, was, and I was uh, like, I'm not feeling that. Oh, like, yeah, yeah, I cannot sing that's, that's lyrics funny. about that.
2: That's good. That's good. <laughs> i I'd rather have darker lyrics, you know, but I, I, I guess I didn't feel that the music was, you know, uh, yeah. As dark that, as, as, yeah. I guess, yeah, there's a spectrum. And um, I think that a lot of it felt more redemptive to me, I mm-hmm. guess. Uh, in a relative sense. Mm -hmm. And that's actually something I want to explore more is the next record, to have even more kind of angular-sounding stuff, um, you know, taking what we did on offering and, like, pushing it further, and then having some pieces that are maybe even, like, all in major and Mm -hmm. having more of a a kind of a wide spectrum in terms of the the colors of each piece and what we do Mm -hmm. with them.
1: Yeah. But lyrically, um, like, I... The first song I wrote lyrics to was Offering, yeah. which is the shortest verse yeah, in any of the pieces. We had been playing the other pieces for a while before I added lyrics. Mm-hmm. And then I added lyrics to Into Light, which is there was a little more, you know, there's more lyrical content. And then I kept yeah. adding more and more lyrical content. Yeah. Because it's, for me, writing lyrics, it's very personal. So mm-hmm. I felt shy to show you the lyrics.
2: Yeah, but I just kept on liking them more. I know, and, and
1: you kept being like, "These are great! These are great! Yeah. More, more!" So I was like, "Okay."
2: <laughs> yeah, it was cool. Like to hear uh, kind of a story evolving in in the songs too, um, you know. Because yeah, exactly. At first, it was just like a vignette. It was like, okay, we have a, a snapshot into this this one world, uh, and then it started evolving into these kind of uh, multi chapter, um, you know, stories or, uh, you know. Yeah, kind of. Well, there's
1: short. like a, a similar theme within each.
2: Yeah, everyone has it has a continuous theme, but there's sort of these little episodes um, that also highlight a certain landscape or a certain part of the progression. Um, and that's another thing too is that the album has a you know continuous progression that goes uh, sort of yeah from darkness uh, you know to light, but um, but also the pieces have a trajectory and they have different parts. A lot of them have like three parts to them. I think like through darkness kind of has three sections to it and into has like two mirror image sections that are you know the inverse of each other and then like a middle part or i don't know i mean cast off the veil kind of has three sections like very defined sections and i definitely like to think about things that way um just make it make it easier to kind of visualize the form you know when you don't have a prescribed like, okay, you have to do a verse, a chorus, and a bridge here, you know, it's like, how about just like 10 minutes of bridge? (laughs) (laughs) Mm -hmm. Uh,
0: How much, uh, this actually sounds like something you guys probably thought uh, a lot about, how much, uh, just the layout of tracks on the album, how, like, uh, what sort of story are you trying to tell with that? Is it, um, is it something you put a lot of thought into, or is it just, uh, I, uh, talking to you guys, I know it wasn't haphazardly done. (laughs) We attention. we definitely
1: thought about what order it should all go in. Yeah, um, we decided on offering as being the second track. Yeah, because we well, I guess we had had such great uh, success with the offering video. Yeah, we thought, okay, this is a really strong piece. Like it's a good it's a good one to put second.
2: Yeah, I mean, there's a lot um, of temptation to want to put it first, but I think you're kind of blowing the intensity too early. So
1: and the way that without this flesh starts it just seems like it makes sense to go at the beginning.
2: Yeah, it kind of draws you in, um, in the way, I don't know, there's something about how an album starts that is really important because it's what you put on every time you're gonna, it's the first thing that you hear. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think it it builds well into offering. They're in the same key. So it's like the last uh, chord of Without This Flesh is the first chord of offering. Uh, But there's this new color, this new flavor. And then after like the kind of ferocity of that track, to have something that's kind of like a new morning, which is the beginning of Cast Off the Veil. It feels like you know you're waking up in the morning, is the first rays coming through the window or something. Um, and then that also um, is in a more similar key to Through Darkness, which is a little bit a little bit more epic and a little bit more uh, extroverted at the end. Um, and you know this Through Darkness into Light pairing, like we had, I think, agreed on that long before that we would i mean we'd have those names because of the the lyrics a lot of the titles came from the lyrics so it made sense to have have them together and then maybe to just call the album through darkness into light um and into light just seemed like a a really good closer um you know it's like a lot of times albums end with maybe the slowest song or the um kind of the most uh i don't know most emotional piece it's not always the case but i think It often happens that way.
1: And the ending, like the bookends. Yeah, exactly. Into light are very sort of soothing. So, after this crazy journey, you know, to have something. Yeah. Yeah. To have some closure. And
2: that we're also unified uh, sonically, which, you know, it's very rare that we're actually doing the same thing together. Um, And that's one of the few instances on the record where we actually are. So, yeah. uh, (laughs) So. Mm -hmm. But I think, yeah, that that whole technique of actually doing um, melody lines together will probably, you know, use in the future for something. Mm -hmm.
1: Do more of that.
3: Mm -hmm.
2: How much material
0: uh, were you considering for the album? Like, was it just these songs or was was there more? Were there other things that sort of didn't fit thematically? What was...
1: Well, we... We had Between Worlds that we had we'd already put about, out. Yeah. We were like, oh, should we add that as well?
2: You know, I think, but- yeah, we had talked about making two records, actually, um, two 40-minute records um, and having, like, a couple of extra tracks. And that just kind of never happened. And, yeah, we had put out Between Worlds. So we had these five pieces, and that seemed like a good fit. It was like, that was enough. And it's, like, just under an hour. It's like 55 minutes. So I think it was a good length. I'm not really a fan of making records that are longer than 60 minutes. I think it's it's actually kind of overkill. Um, I think like 50 minutes is a really good length. It's like it gives you enough to feel like you have something to chew on, but you're not overwhelmed and feeling like there's certain tracks on the end or something in the middle that you're just not able to get to because it's such a, a huge um, kind of distance.
1: Mm-hmm. This record may be a hard listen for some people, but... I think it's I think it goes down really well it was actually down smooth. like I mean when we were listening to the album to uh for the mix, like to see if we you know if the mix was right um it did go down really well
2: yeah we went, we went to a friend's place and listened uh they had really nice speakers and we we listened to the whole thing through and you know it it felt more like twenty five minutes because um, it does like
1: it, take you on a journey,
2: yeah, it changes up enough it's that's a you know a challenge with making a record is. Um, you want to have a consistent sound, but you don't want everything to sound the same. Um, and so that depends a lot on the material and you know, aspects of the production uh, just to keep the sound worlds different. And I think in a live setting, it also translates where people, people don't feel like they're listening to the same kind of landscape in every piece or within every composition. There's a lot of changes and that kind of keeps them hooked. And I think that's important you know, to, to pace everything well so that they're always, they're always on the journey with you.
0: You know, you said like looking at things through uh, like a microscope that Mm -hmm. people probably gloss over. Like, no, that that you know, four seconds is my entire life until it's fixed. Like, it's yeah,
2: yeah,
1: (laughs) definitely. We were very hands on in
2: the studio. I think we have to uh, enforce some. You know, at least to some degree, our vision because if we don't do it, like, no one can really do it for us. Yeah, it's like it's our baby, and we've you know, like we know kind of what it is from from playing it so um we have to explain that to people because otherwise you know it may not come across it's hard to it's hard to understand unless you you're kind of in it mm-hmm.
1: but also we've had to compromise as For well sure. because we both have our own visions of what we think the music is and
2: yeah but ultimately it's about where we meet in the middle that makes yeah, it what it is so exactly, um, yeah. i think that's we're, we're we're still learning that um but it's like time is making it clear you know experience yeah
1: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think it has, like, um, playing live. You know, we, we were talking about this the other day that we feel so safe playing live together because we know that we've got each other's back, yeah, yeah, so to speak. Like, um, I know that Raf is always going to be there and doing his thing and being really strong in it. And um, I don't know. There's this comfort there yeah. that I think we both have playing live together.
2: Yeah, it gives us a lot of confidence to be on stage together, and I think that um, it just allows us to focus on the music and focus on just playing the show and um, enjoying the, you know, I guess the journey of of the, the music as opposed to thinking about like, oh, what part is coming next, or, you know, you know, sometimes when you're playing with other musicians and you're just kind of listening to them and you're like, how do I, f- how do I fit into this, like, how, you know, but. There's no, not even a thought of that in this context. Like, mm-hmm. We just do it. We just kind of pump it out. Like, <laughs> next. <"Nice."> yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Hey,
0: looking forward to doing um, maybe your next album or an EP or whatever comes next. Do you guys, are you looking at different elements that you might incorporate that weren't on this one? Um. Uh a, maybe more so production-wise than melodically, or I- in either way. Like you were saying, maybe having matching parts more often, things like mm. that. Maybe going more major. Yeah, um, I, I think yeah.
1: Yeah, I think we're we're gonna incorporate more of what what happened in between um, into light. Right. Yeah. Right. Where we were playing together, doing the same thing together. Yeah. Um, we're gonna try potentially having me start.
3: Yeah, uh, no one, one or two
1: of the pieces yeah yeah so do some like acapella mm-hmm. um also Raph is getting really into pedals and yeah more effects. more
2: effects um not not very nice not not, not, not too much but like just yeah. to a point where it's uh, it's adding a compositional element like a lot of time-based things like delays where you're playing off of the the rhythm that de- the delay pedal creates um and you know doing doing certain things that would be more difficult otherwise um uh, and uh and just sonically adding certain textures a little bit beyond just the clean you know or reverb type sound um that that can also allow the, for the possibility of more more ambient sections that are you know there's a bit more space um and also conversely just uh you know using the same writing style but a lot of new tunings that I'm I'm finding that I think are are adding other flavors um I think, yeah, definitely more angularity in certain parts, even bit b- more heaviness. Um and uh yeah, that, that that sort of thing. I think also maybe we're we're open to shorter pieces that are more um focused on like a certain uh you know, a certain exercise in terms of like a certain compositional technique. Um and then longer pieces, so kind of creating more uh diversity in terms of the the nature of each piece. Um yeah. All right. <laughs> do you have anything else? I think I gotta ask the question.
0: Is it that time already? <laughs> uh, uh. All right. Uh so the one thing we ask everybody on this show. Uh and it's just a fun thing for Adam to pester me about. Um but uh, who has been a <laughs> who's been a greater uh musical influence or who do you like better? Was that the buildup really? Uh <laughs> We have to leave enough time for these guys to express themselves in it. Like, yeah, they are very well-spoken. Um, just uh, who do you like better, Peter
2: Gabriel or Phil Collins? Oh, that's a hard Peter question Gabriel. for us. I think Peter, Peter Gabriel, Gabriel for oh. sure, but yeah, I, I don't really care for Phil Collins. Phil but.
1: Collins, what did – like I'm trying to think of – Well, I mean his work he... with
2: Genesis is better than his solo work for sure. Yeah, but, but Peter Gabriel yeah. –
1: likes- Founded genesis yeah
2: right? no it's i mean i think there's no contest like it's yeah Peter no definitely Peter not David. that i listened to either of them but
1: i i listened to a bit of genesis
2: yeah it's yeah. funny like i i am into a lot of 70s prog stuff but that's like not one of the groups that i i really grew up listening to it was always like i don't know it was always emerson Lake and palmer like <laughs> jethro tall and those guys <laughs> mm. <laughs> you know, yes you know so i don't know I think i'm more of an fan it myself but. <laughs>
0: I was watching footage the other day of just uh, a Japanese like uh, baseball diamond just erupting uh, when ELP played Hoedown and like uh, Emerson's on like two keyboards and he's doing (laughs) the thing and it's just like at what point like it it, it, it astounds me that anybody was like man this guy can play two keyboards let's rush the fucking stage like it was just (laughs) such a weird time.